0: Hello and welcome to the Power and the Key podcast, I'm your host Neil Winterson and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cadd, how are you Ben? Good evening Neil, uh, good to be back. Good to have you back mate. Uh, before we get into the show again, I'd just like to thank everybody who downloaded the podcast last week, for those who took the time to uh, give us a review and a five star rating, we really appreciate it. As I said last week, we need your help to try and spread the podcast as much as possible so if you could... Continue to do that, and maybe tell some of your friends and spread it via word of mouth as well. Um, that would be very much appreciated. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also iHeartRadio now, Ben. So we're uh, we're starting to branch out into some uh, other media mediums as well. So uh, we'll see how that goes. So to get into the show, first off, this week we thought uh, it's we're getting towards sort of the third of the third of the season mark so far. So we'll start getting into some. Some awards. So we'll start off with the MVP, which is obviously the the most talked about award uh, that gets handed out at the end of the year. Um, I think so far there's probably a consensus that it's, it's down to three guys, uh, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James and Joel Embiid. So I'd be interested to see how you've graded those three, Ben. Who have you got on top?
1: Yeah, look, I've currently got uh, Jokic on top at the moment. And that's probably a little bit lucky really considering out of those three guys you've mentioned, uh, the Denver Nuggets have the poorest record of of those. Uh, They're 12 and 10 sitting sixth, whereas you've got the Philadelphia 76ers on top of the East and the Lakers obviously second, uh, currently sitting in the Western Conference. So I just think at the moment, Jokic, his numbers are really uh, just enormous and he's putting up some really big games. Uh, We saw just in the past week, you know, he put up a big massive uh, 40 point uh, triple double and and you know, and I think as we go forward, I can see you know Denver continually looking to improve and and probably looking to to consolidate inside the top four in the in the West. And if that does happen, I think then he he can he can maintain uh, that number one ranking potentially. Uh, currently, twenty six points a game, eleven rebounds, and eight assists. Um, they you know fantastic numbers uh, playing the thirty five minutes a game at the moment. So we did speak a couple of weeks back about LeBron James, and I was erring on the side that. I didn't think that he was really going to be pushing hard to win the MVP. And it's probably that statement probably has backfired a little bit because since we've said that, he just continues to punch out up big games and big numbers and, and really looking like he is motivated to try and put another MVP uh, notch on the belt. So I won't certainly discount LeBron James from, you know, from continuing that. And, and if he does, as you mentioned um, a few weeks back, that narrative around him might certainly really grow, uh, continue to grow and, you know, and Embiid was the other one you mentioned, who's also having an outstanding year. So, look, I think I do agree. I think they're the three guys that we're probably needing to consider at this stage. Um And for me, just at the minute, I've, I'm just going to stick with uh, Nikola Jokic.
0: Yes, I do agree with that, Ben. Unfortunately, I was hoping we might have a bit of a, a debate about it, but uh, I ultimately said it on on Jokic as well. It's uh yeah, I came down to him and LeBron in the end, and I, and I, he's just got his nose in front. We saw today he had. 50 points and 10 assists, so he, he continues to, to stack up the numbers. You, you mentioned his numbers there with the 26, 11, and, and uh, 8 assists, shooting 56, 38, and 83 from the field, and he's second in the league in PR. At thirty point two, and any time you're over that thirty mark, you're talking historical numbers there. So, he's having an outstanding, outstanding year. He generally has started the year slow in previous years and sort of started to get going in, you know, in in the later months. But we saw him come come into the bubble last year in in tip top shape, and he's carried that over to this year, and you can see the difference it's made. He's he's certainly much quicker off the bounce. You've seen him spinning, spinning baseline, and throwing down some dunks. He's still got those funky little push shots and those really high arcing uh, releases that he makes, but he's been able to add to his game just because he's a lot more nimble around the court, and that's sort of that, – and that's translating as well to his defence, which has certainly been much better as well. So as you mentioned there, he's got the worst record out of the three of them, but I just think the way he's played so far has been outstanding. He, he was leading the league in assists at one stage. He's dropped back down, but he's, he's still – the numbers he's putting up for a centre across the board – are outstanding. Um, if you want to dive right into the uh, the advanced analyst stuff, he's, he leads the league in offensive win shares, win shares, box plus minus, offensive box plus minus, and value over replacement player. Now, a lot of those, those numbers can be a bit Mickey Mouse, but when you're leading the league in so many of those, it, it certainly speaks volumes as to the season he's having. Um, as far as LeBron goes, yeah, you mentioned that we did speak about him a couple of weeks ago, and we both probably thought that he wouldn't push into the, into the MVP conversation because he'd probably rest himself at some stage. But that hasn't been the case really. He's still sort of – he's at 25-7-7, uh, seven and seven, which is around his mark apart from the points, uh, shooting 49, 40 and 71 splits. PER, interestingly, is the 10th uh, – is 24.6, which is the 10th in, in the league and the second lowest of his career. So the fact that you look at his stats – for anyone else you'd be going, how outstanding this year. Not the stats mean everything, we know that. And and the Lakers have been outstanding. They're second in the West at the moment at eighteen and six. But I think it speaks volumes to the player that LeBron James has been over his career that numbers wise, he's having a pretty pedestrian season and and but he's still right in the hunt for the MVP.
1: Yeah, that's right. And as as you mentioned, the PER um is the one that, you know, a lot of the experts really sort of lean on and And for him to only be sitting in tenth there, probably yeah, put a put a bit of a knock on his M V P case. But I I just think, yeah, the way he's influencing winning at the moment and he and I think it's just the fact of his his age and his number of years in the league and to think that he's still playing at such a high level is um I think that's the, the not not a surprise, but I think that's the real incredible part of this whole thing, this whole season for LeBron James where you just felt that at some point this guy's just going to have to slow down, and and um, his body will eventually catch up with him. But it hasn't happened, and he's um he's playing outstanding uh, basketball for Lakers, and you know they're really looking strongly to be defending that title, and he's the main reason for it, um, obviously along with Anthony Davis. So those numbers twenty five uh, point seven point eight rebounds, seven point seven assists. They're basically right in line with his career numbers. He, he's averaging twenty seven points for his career, and of seven rebounds and seven assists so he's pretty much right on the money in terms of his overall career numbers but yeah I, I just look at Jokic and, and Embiid at the moment and when we did talk you talked about the win shares uh, Jokic has got an enormous lead in that category he's at the 4.3 Kawhi Leonard is second at 3.8 so that's quite a gap uh, when you're looking through that and and I think yeah if the, if the Denver Nuggets continue to to improve they did have a slow start to the season if they can yeah continue to mount um, a strong case in the West, and I think you know if his numbers continue the way they are, yeah, you know, I think he's still the man to beat. I mean, the goal he didn't mention is the, the two-time, two-time reigning champion Giannis from Milwaukee. So his numbers haven't dropped that much as compared to previous years. So at, at some point, he's going to put himself back in the conversation. He's averaging 27 points and 11 rebounds and six assists this season. Yeah, so I mean, I think there's probably just the toll of a couple of years and the story's not as fun anymore, perhaps, and that's why he he may not be getting spoken about alongside these other players. But really, his stats are are still fantastic. And the Milwaukee Bucks are are obviously having a a strong start to the season as well, sitting second in the East. So I I think there'll be a, a case for him at some point as well, albeit just at the start of this year. I think the guys you mentioned, Jokic, Embiid and LeBron, have probably just got their noses in front.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought Giannis up because I was going to talk about him. It's I think we talk about it and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago that, that how important that narrative is and I think the fact that he's won the last two, they sort of flamed out in the playoffs last year, going out in the second round to Miami in five games and and, and the knock was there again on Giannis that you can't go to him late in, in a game, especially in a playoff game because he can't create his own offense. So I think he was right up against it this year. I think it was almost going to be impossible for him to, to to come out and win a third in a row. Even if he put up 35-15-8 and and was Defensive Player of the Year, I reckon he would have really struggled because I I think, as you said there, it's not as fun. Um, He's won two in a row, and we've seen a number of players win two in a row. Uh, Steve Nash and, and Steph Curry certainly spring to mind, but when you win three MVPs, you're talking rarefied air there, so... I think everybody would have been reluctant to hand a third MVP to Giannis given that uh, they haven't gone far enough in the playoffs yet, which is ridiculous because the MVP is purely a, a regular season award, but the narrative is comes into play a lot there. And you're right, his, his numbers haven't dropped too much at all. They're sort of... Not quite as high. Last year he put up an historic season as far as the numbers went. Um, so he, he's still playing a very, very good season, but he, he basically hasn't been spoken about at all as far as the MVP conversation. So, yeah, I think he's probably going to be uh, up against it to, to work his way into that conversation. Joel Embiid, for me, we've spoken about. We haven't really delved into what he's dished up so far. So he, uh, he's at a career-high 29 points a game, uh, 10.8 rebounds, uh, 2.7 assists, 1.2 uh, 1.2 steals and 1.3 blocks. So he's certainly bringing it on both ends of the floor, and he leads the league in PR at 31.4, which I, I said earlier. If you're if you're above that 30 mark, that's historic, and 31.4 is an incredible number. So they lead the East at 16 and seven. So they're going fantastic. He's shooting 55, 42, and 85 splits from the field from the floor. Sorry, and he leads the league in free throws attempt per game. So. He's really putting the pressure on the opposition every time he goes out on the floor. We've seen this in patches from from uh, Embiid in the past, but his body hasn't been able to stand up and he hasn't been able to maintain that throughout a season. So I think for me, it's it's going to be really interesting whether he can maintain that throughout the season or whether he's going to get a couple of those nicks. He has set out a couple of games so far, but we haven't seen an extended absence as yet. Are we going to see him get one of those back or those knee injuries that he traditionally does get, and he sits out for a large uh, period of time? Because if he does, that'll knock him right out of the race.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you know, I think that's the big the big thing for Embiid is the yeah, the consistency across the entire year and and his fitness, his fitness levels really, and whether he can withstand the the, the longer term fixture and getting all the way through to the end of the regular season. But it, you know, if he continues the way he is, uh, this at this rate, twenty nine points a game, then he's going to be right in the conversation. The interesting thing about him and Jokic is um, they're basically going to have to turn the clock back in terms of centres winning the MVP. The last time we saw a centre, when it was back in 2003 with Tim Duncan, when he won the second and back-to-back MVP. So after that, we've had you know the Steve Nash era and LeBron and Derek Rose and Curry Duran, Harden, Westbrook. So we're, we're really going back nearly 20 years before we've seen a centre win the award. So uh, for Jokic or Embiid to do that, that'll be a,
0: a pretty ph- phenomenal effort. Yeah, no doubt. It's certainly become more a you know a wing heavy game now that they had that sort of point guard uh, revolution there. Now it's sort of swayed towards the wings, and as you said, the the centers haven't haven't won one for a long time, so they, they would have to break the mold there. How did you end up sort of settling on the on the one two three there?
1: Uh, look, I just think they're the guys. I suppose that, that everyone is talking about And As I said, um, Giannis is probably just sitting outside that group, and then you go down and you you going into the Kevin Durant's and the Dame Lillard's and the Steph Curry's who are all probably going to be in the conversation at some point, even Kawhi Leonard. So I just think it, uh, just through the first 20-odd games of the season, I, I do think those guys that we have mentioned have just put a little bit of space in between that next group for now. Uh, and as I said, we are, we're very early in, into it all, so there's still plenty of time. Steph Curry gets on a run like, you know, the, the game he played today and, and Luka Donkich we haven't even mentioned as well. So, you know, it's it's a pretty um pretty good mix this year. There's there's plenty of uh, chances, but you know, we've got to only really nominate three for the spirit of this, what we're talking about. So I think that's how we kinda of got to those initial
0: initial guys we spoke spoke about. Was it Jokic, LeBron, Embiid in that particular order? Is that what you said? Yeah, earlier?
1: that's how I've got them at the moment. And as yep. I said, I'm surprised I have LeBron there because you know, as I mentioned, I, I just didn't think he was going <laughs> to sort of really push push his case for this. But the, they just he just continues to get it done night in, night out, and can help contribute to winning. So um,
0: you, you, you're a fool to not to not include him. Yeah, the, I I, I said on the exact same order as you with Jokic, LeBron, and Embiid. Kawhi Leonard was the one that was sort of just outside for me. He, he's he's been outstanding. Uh the Clippers are third in the West. Uh he's shoot 26 points a game, five and five, one point nine steals, his PR of twenty-eight. So he's he's playing outstanding basketball as he does every year. And 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 the important thing for him too is that he looks a lot healthier than he has in previous years. He's played in a in a couple of back-to-backs, which he hadn't done for a few years. We've seen him throw down a couple of big dunks over defenders, which also we hadn't seen for a few years. So yeah, hopefully he can he continue in that vein of form because um, he's been really good and he's a really fun player to watch when he gets going, despite the fact that a lot of people think that he is boring. I really enjoy watching uh, Koala learn play, probably because he's in my fantasy team, but uh, I think he also brings a lot to the table. So we'll move on to the Rookie of the Year. Ben, how did you find this? Okay,
1: so look, I don't think this rookie class is setting the world on fire and I think even heading into the draft this year, there was question marks about you know the overall talent pool and whether this was going to be a pretty mediocre draft class I think that's probably the way it's looking at this stage you know the number one pink uh, Anthony Edwards I don't know that um he's going to be a franchise guy at any stages of his career James Wiseman has showed flashes for Golden State but he was benched taken out of the starting five pretty early he, he looks to be the guy that potentially has that that really high upside you know just with his body continuing to develop so you know he, he might have a chance to become uh, um, a really star player in the league I ended up with the the guy that got picked third in the in the draft, which was Lamello Ball that came out of our very own National Basketball League uh, last year with Illawarra Hawks. So uh, his start to the year's been, you know, a bit scratchy um, as most rookies come out of the blocks. But he's been starting on the bench for the Hornets. But you know, he's been able to come in and contribute right, right from the get-go. Uh, his, his, his numbers just uh, quickly for the points of thirteen point six. He's averaging five point eight rebounds and six assists. He's really got that um, capability. You think when you, you project projecting out in a couple of years that he'll basically be a walking triple double. You know, almost Russell Westbrook style. His passing is just incredible. His vision, you know, on the on the break and in, and also in the half quarters, outstanding. And he's finding guys and really helping open up um, opportunities for his teammates. So I think that's probably a surprise um, selection. There was so so much conjecture going into the draft about where Lamelo Ball was gonna. Was going to land in the draft basically because of you know he had such an unusual pathway into the league playing in Lithuania and then and then here in Australia so it was quite hard um, for all the draft experts to line it all up but I think he's been able to come up and really contribute straight away and and um, his numbers his numbers are pretty good he, he was the youngest player ever to record a triple double earlier in the season so um, I, I think for now he'd be the guy I'd have in front and, and then coming in behind him was a guy that was picked. Um, Twelfth in the draft, Tyrese Halliburton. So I've got him as probably the second player at the moment in in regards to the Rookie of the Year, averaging the eleven point eight points, five assists, and three point eight rebounds. So again, he's starting on the bench for the Kings, but playing the twenty nine minutes a game, which is pretty pretty good effort uh, for a rookie as well. So um, I've been quite impressed with his his ability, and I think um, you know the more people see this guy play, uh, it's going to be a real shock as to why he really slid down the down the draft board on draft night and. He was the one that sort of kept sliding throughout the draft and to get to 12 and, and you know, be able to come out and contribute straight away. He's been a, a really good pick for the Kings. Uh, the third bloke I thought I'd mention in this area, and again, you mentioned fantasy basketball before, this guy is a guy I brought in off the wire and, and he sort of had to play out of necessity for the Orlando Magic and that was the 15th pick in the draft, Cole Anthony. He's um You know, he's been able to produce some some decent numbers starting for the Orlando Magic since Mark L. Fultz, Fultz went down with an injury. So they're the three I'd have at the moment. Uh, with Lamello Ball
0: leading the pack. Yeah, I, I agree with Lamello being being on top. He he's probably just overtook Halliburton recently. He, he's, he was inserted in their starting lineup over the last three games, and particularly over his last five games, he's, he's been really good, averaging twenty two points a game, uh, five rebounds, and six point eight assists. So you can see. We see every time a rookie comes into, into the league, especially point guards, it can be a real baptism baptism of fire and I think he started to find his feet um, and you can see how damaging he can be. You mentioned that he can be a walking triple-double a la Russell Westbrook and I, and I agree with that. I don't know how much you saw of him last year in the NBL but uh, I saw a few games and I must admit I was pretty doubtful about if he could step up to the NBA level because he was just taking some horrendous shots last year. His shot selection was was very poor I mean, he's not a great athlete. You don't see him throwing down massive dunks or anything, but we've seen as he's gone into the NBA, he's he's reined in in his shots. He hasn't got that license to fire away as he did at Illawarra, and he's he's such a gifted passer. Some of the passes we've seen this year have been outstanding. He's got a a really good partnership going with uh, with Bridges there. Some of the alley-oops that he's thrown to him have been really good to watch. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I've got Lamello on top um, from Halliburton. You mentioned how he slid on draft night, and I'm not going to pretend to be a draft expert, but I, I listen to a lot of stuff and, and, and follow a lot of the content before the draft, and it was it was pretty much a, a consensus three-person draft between Wiseman Ball and Anthony Edwards. That, that was basically everybody's pick to be in the top three in some sort of order. Nobody was really certain how that was going to shake out, but... After that, I heard a lot of the, you know, the draft experts saying that Halliburton was the one that that everybody should go for. He's such a steady influence. And there was even talk about maybe Golden State trading down to pick four or five and get and getting uh, Halliburton there and putting him in the backcourt with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who wasn't injured at that stage. Um that obviously didn't come to fruition. And yeah, as he slid down the draft board, you 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 heard those experts sort of a bit baffled by it and 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 he sort of fell into Sacramento's lap there and They've had a bit of a checkered uh, drafting history um, over the last few years, and but they've nailed that one. I think they didn't really have to do much right. They picked the best player available. And, you know, his numbers don't absolutely jump off the page. I think his shooting splits are the ones that are really impressive for me, uh, shooting 47, 40, and 83 from the field. For a rookie guard, um, th- that's exceptional because they they really do struggle with that adju- adjustment to the NBA. And you watch him shooting; and he got a bit of a funky release from – from from the three point land, but he but he connects on it. We saw it even today down the stretch, he had the ball in his hands with a minute to go, uh, pull up three, drains it, and and that was the game. So that they they they're not scared to put the ball in his hands late in the game. If a rookie to be able to do that, um, really speaks volumes. As I said, his numbers don't absolutely jump off the page, but if you watch him, he doesn't make many many mistakes. He's he's that sort of you know traditional knows how to play basketball style player. So he might not have the upside of a Ball or an Edwards or a Wiseman or, or some of these other guys, but but his floor is very high as well. So you're going to get a guy who's going to be a really valuable contributor for 12 to 15 years throughout his career. So it was a bit of a mystery why he did slide down the draft because apparently, you know, his off-court stuff is exemplary as well. So figure that one. The third the third place for me was, was really difficult. You said before the draft it was one of those drafts where, you know, no one was really falling over himself to, to leap up the board. But, I Eventually, it was coming down between Anthony Edwards who, yeah, he, he has struggled from the field a lot, but he has been inserted into the game, uh, sorry, into the starting lineup the last five games and has certainly improved. I just went with Emmanuel Quigley in the end, Um, you, and your brother will love that. He, he's been outstanding for, for the Knicks coming off the bench. Nobody really saw this coming. He's only playing the 19 minutes a game, but he's putting up 12.5 12, 12 points with 2.3 rebounds and 2.7 assists, shooting 41, 37, 92 from the floor. So... You know, they're really good numbers for a guy coming off the bench. He's that instant offense sort of player. Got one of the best floaters in the game. I don't know if you've seen too much of him, Ben, but he gets into the key there and he floats it up and nine times out of ten it drops. So I think he through, he's going to be one of these players throughout his career that can just sort of come off the bench and, and, and give you some offense a la a, a Williams or a, a Jamal Crawford. So, yeah, I, I ended up settling on Emmanuel Quigley.
1: No, that's fair enough. You know, and and to, to, for the Knicks to be able to land a, a player so late in the first round and who's been able to contribute is a, is a huge result for for them because um you know they haven't had a lot of luck in the draft lottery the last few years in terms of being able to pick you know in that top three or four. So you know to be able to to be able to land a, a late first round pick, um you know, and they are owed those couple of picks coming in from Dallas over the next couple of years as well. So they have the have that chance now to really build around. You know, guys like RJ Barrett and Quickly and and Mitch Robinson, and hopefully there's a real, you know, a bit of a core cool group finally developing in New York.
0: Yeah, it's certainly long overdue for New York to have a to have a competitive team. That the NBA is obviously a lot uh, funner place when when the the Garden's humming, Ben. So we'll move on to the most improved award now, which is always a bit of a a strange award, whether you go for a second year player or, or sort of how you quantify what what your most improved is. Uh, how did you shape this one, Ben?
1: Yeah, and that's the really hard thing to do. Like the guy I've ended up selecting, you know, he—he he, I think he is the most improved player, but it's probably also just been brought out of opportunity. And that's uh, Jeremy Grant, who got traded from Denver. I'm oh, sorry, not traded. He signed as a free agent with Detroit after finishing at Denver last year. So his numbers have jumped from twelve points last year up to twenty-three point six rebounds, up from three point five up to five point six. You know, and, and he's really the main man now in Detroit. He signed that big contract. Uh, in the off season, and and it really is playing up to those to that number at the moment. So he's the guy I went with, and, and again, it, it really is based around you know that increased opportunity, and that and that's the uh, theoretically the reason why he he didn't re-sign with Denver. I believe they offered him a pretty similar you know sort of size contract to the one he ended up signing with Detroit, which is the three years at sixty million. Uh, but he's been able to come in and and really play and earn earn that respect in terms of. Uh, being the, the big man on campus in Detroit now with, you know, Blake Griffin obviously having his own struggles. So he he's the number one guy there now. And, and you know, for him to make that decision, it's quite a ballsy one to leave, a, you know, that winning culture in Denver where he, he had quite a specific role to sort of back himself in and, and you know, believe in, believe in himself that he can be a guy that can put up, you know, those type of numbers and, and be the, the main guy on a team. So whether that, you know, trans, translates at any stage down the track to winning for Detroit, I probably have my doubts, but you know, for him personally, it's been a good move, and and to be able to jump up to 23 points a game, almost double from what he was putting up last year, um, is a sensational effort. So he'd be the guy I have as most improved. Christian Wood would be second for me, and and he's got a bit of a link there to to Jeremy Grant because um basically Detroit sort of let Christian Wood walk, and so they could have the cap space to sign Grant and Mason Plumley. So he went to Houston, and he's been putting up. You know, big numbers, albeit. You know, he's, he looks like he's had a serious knee. Uh, sorry, serious ankle injury over the weekend, which is a which is a real shame. But he's putting up the 22 points and and 10 rebounds again, up from 13 points and uh, six rebounds last year. So that's a, a real stark improvement uh, for him. And the third guy I selected, for the most improved, is uh, Malcolm Brogdon. So he's a guy that former Rookie of the Year winner. He's put up pretty decent numbers all the way through. But I think just the opportunity now that Victor Oladipo um, has been traded. He's really playing that second fiddle. It's a bonus there in Indiana, and his numbers have increased from 16 points a game up to 22 points a game. So, you know, and he's really bordering on a, a potential all-star berth in, in the East. So that, that's how I sort of shook out my, uh, my top three.
0: Yeah, really interesting there. It's We're finally going to disagree, Ben. I like it. Um, <laughs> I've got uh, Jalen Brown as my most improved. He, his numbers don't jump up as much as Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood, who, who I'll also talk about because... They finish in my second and third spots there. But he's made the jump up uh, this year from 20 points a game to 26. Um, He's shooting splits right across the the line or or up across the board. So I think making that jump from sort of borderline all-star to certain all-star starter, who I picked last week, so in my opinion anyway, an all-star starter, is a a much harder jump to make than rotation piece to very good player. So I, I think for me that that's that's what i've been so impressed with with Jalen Brown. His offensive game has just come come along in leaps and bounds. He can now take guys off the dribble. He had a really loose handle when he first came into the league. He's got moves, he's got spin moves, he can hit the mid-range, he can hit from 3. He's sort of he's become the, the complete offensive player and i don't think anybody saw that at all coming Coming into the, when he came into the NBA, he was sort of he was in the, maybe a three and D type player, but he's really advanced his his offensive game over the last two years, but particularly over over the offseason this year, this year, and and in a short offseason as well, which makes it even the more impressive. And the fact that uh, the Boston is are sitting third in the East at twelve and nine, Jason Tatum having missed uh, quite a few games, I think. Full credit goes to Jalen Brown for being able to do that. I agree. I've got Jeremy Grant second. The jump up he's had this year has been outstanding. You ran through the numbers there. I think most people sort of thought he, he was, if we're being honest, he was kidding himself. Leaving Denver, who were a chance to, to win a title to go to go to Detroit, who were absolutely no chance. And the fact that the defense was going to be able to key in on him, and he he hadn't really shown much much in an offensive game. Um, in his previous stops he'd shown that he was a you know a really good defender but he hadn't shown that offensive game that he's shown this year. so for him to be able to take on the the load that he has so far, he's been able to do it reasonably efficient efficiently for the guys putting up as many shots as he, as he has has been really impressive. I'll give the low post a, a plug again he, he had a, a an interview with uh, Jeremy grant over the weekend so if you want to delve into him a bit further download that and listen to that it was a really good interview. And, yeah, I agree with Christian Wood as well. He, he His year this year has been unbelievable. You you did mention there that he has unfortunately got the, the ankle injury. I don't think we've heard as yet how long he's going to be out. But for him to be able to come out and basically be a, a borderline all-star in the West is, is no mean feat. You said there the head-scratching move for Detroit to to not re-sign him. He's got some off-court issues, which uh, uh, we won't talk about. But, um, obviously, that that sort of... Steered, steered them away from him but uh, Houston are really reaping the, the rewards from that uh, so yeah he, he's had an outstanding year he can he can shoot from the outside he's not afraid to do that he's hitting 42% of his threes and he can obviously go inside as well so I mean he's also blocking one and a half shots a game so he's you know he's not the complete package but but he's close enough to it and to be able to get him you know for the money they did um, is going to really help uh, Houston in the future
1: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I do think the most improved is probably the most ambiguous award out of all of them. And, and you know, we did touch on some of those reasons. And, and you know, some players just get that additional opportunity, which they can then showcase their game. Um, whereas others, you know, just you know, make that steady improvement, as I spoke about, with that, um, a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and you, you can almost see that with Colin Sixton also in in Cleveland, where he's sort of just making those natural progression uh, steps forward which is which is really pleasing and he he's, he's another guy that you'd probably put into that to that mix as a most improved player
0: also yep for sure so we'll move on to the sixth man of the year I'm not sure how you found this I found this difficult after after my number one selection how did you find it
1: a few weeks back I thought it might have been an Aussie one too with um, Paddy Mills uh, really firing off the bench for San Antonio and, and Joe Ingalls also playing a a bench role for Utah but I ended up deciding on uh, Joe Engle's Utah teammate Jordan Clarkson I think he's um, the guy that's really giving the most sort of scoring punch off the bench and I think historically when you look at guys that have won these awards in the past you know you, you think of think of Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford and you know really you know high high scoring players that really just back themselves into come from the bench and give that offensive punch and uh, Jordan Clarkson's in that mold as well uh, where he's really giving uh, Utah some, some really good drive off, off the bench. You know, I think when he left um, Cleveland, people weren't really sure that you know what Utah were seeing in Jordan Clarkson as a as a god sort of compliment uh, what they had there. But I think he's continues to put those doubts, doubts to rest. He's up to seventeen points a game uh, this year, and his shooting numbers are, are much improved. He's shooting the three ball at thirty nine percent this year, which is really fantastic um, and and really helping the way that. Uh, Utah want to go about their their offense, so he's the guy that I uh, landed on as the the sixth man. I, I I will give Paddy Mills a shout out as well. I think his season for San Antonio has been fantastic, and you know he's been coming off the bench for them for for obviously many years, and 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 he's just another real credit to to Australian basketball the way that he continues to to impact NBA games. And and impact matches as well for for them is you know one of their real stalwarts of the club now and and I think I just saw over the weekend he, he passed Andrew Bogut as the played the most NBA games um, as an Australian in history so that uh, another credit to Patty and everything he's done for the Spurs. Uh, the third guy I'd probably mention in this category was um, and and his numbers have probably diminished a little bit now since Aaron Baines has improved a little bit was uh, Chris uh, Chris Boot. Boucher from Toronto. He was um, putting up some pretty big numbers. He's still averaging the thirteen points um, and also six rebounds a game coming off the bench for Toronto. But his, his minutes have just diminished a little bit. Some improved, uh, improved play from Aaron Bane. So, but it, you know, he's giving Toronto some some real um, punch off the bench. He's another one of these guys that Toronto you know drafted late and, and has really developed. Um, they've got such a good record of developing their own internal players. And, and Chris Boucher is another guy that um, I think is going to
0: following that Siakam and OG, O.G. Ananobi pathway. Yeah, no doubt. I've got Bechet second for me. You mentioned there his numbers have probably dwindled a little bit um, since Baines has improved his play, but he went through a real patch there where he was he was playing outstanding ball. He's averaging 13 points a game, 6.2 rebounds, and two blocks, um, which is really good, shooting 53, 44, and 77 uh, splits. So he's he's been really valuable for them off the bench. He's playing the 22.5 minutes a game. He's only six foot nine, but he he really plays as a small ball five um, who stretches the floor, and he he's pretty thin, so he can't really mix it up in the key. But uh, yeah, he, he's been really good. I think you're on the end of uh, a couple of his really good games when you played against him in fantasy basketball. I remember you <laughs> venting your frustration <laughs> over Facebook one day. But uh, yeah, I, I think he's been outstanding. So I've got him second. I totally agree. Jordan Clarkson, I think, is pretty the pretty clear-cut uh, leader for me at this stage. He's averaging career high in points and rebounds, and he leads leads the league off the bench in scoring. You mentioned his, his shooting splits there. They're really good. He's actually shooting 97% from the free-throw line. He hasn't taken too many, but that's that's an incredible stat there. They did trade for him last season, and and not many people took too much notice because... He sort of had a bit of an up-and-down career, but he had a really good finish to the year last year for Utah, and they signed him to a four-year, $50 million contract in the offseason, which I think probably raised a few eyebrows, but he's certainly certainly earning that money this year, and they lead the league at 18-5, and five, and he's a big reason for that. That third spot, yeah, I didn't really settle on anyone, if I'm being honest. Paddy Mills has been really good. Ah, uh, you mentioned here. You mentioned him. He's he's actually a career high in points, which is which is a feather in his cap, given he's been in the league for so long. Montrez Harrell, who won it last year, his numbers are down, but his minutes are down as well, and his shot attempts are down. So he he's contributing when he gets the opportunity. Terence Ross for Orlando, you know, he always comes off the bench and, and puts points on the board. And you mentioned that this award generally goes to somebody who who puts up a lot of points, so he's probably going to be around the mark. And same for Shake Milton, who's come off the bench for Philly and has also, uh, you know, ticked the scoreboard over when he, when he has got out there for him. But I think Jordan Clarkson pretty clearly so far is, is a leader in that category. Uh, so we'll move on the, to the Defensive Player of the Year. Again, this is... Um, you can you can argue for one player over the other, but who have you settled on in this, Ben?
1: Um, I'm going with Rudy Gobert from Utah. I think he's his form for for them again this year, uh, particularly at defensive end. You know, has it, just sustained itself, and and he's the guy that you sort of look to as when you talk about defense and and the way that particularly the way that Utah you know Utah are built is so important for for them. He just blocks the paint. You really. Bangs the boards. He's, he's, he's coming second in blocks per game at the moment with the two point seven, just um, trailing Miles Turner, who's got three point seven. His rebound numbers are good, thirteen point four per game. That's ranked third in the league. So those two big categories, he's um, right in and amongst it. And he's so versatile. He, his, his feet are so quick, and he can just get up and 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 you know it, it just make it so hard for opposition players to to drive and get into the paint and into the lane. Um, so Rudy Gobert's the one for me. I think he's going to win another Defensive Player of the Year, uh, pretty pretty comfortably. I would have thought.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I've got him on top as well. It's uh it, it's hard to quantify, you know, who the best defender is. I think because it's not, you know, you can't just look at the scoreboard and go, well, he's averaging, you know, with, when you can with the best offensive player. Not that there's an award for that, and there probably should be. But yeah, I, I've gone with Rudy Gobert as well. You mentioned he's, he's rebounding and block stats there, which are always really good. He does lead the league in defensive win shares, uh, and Utah ranked third in defense. So you mentioned there his versatility. He, he's obviously a really good rim protector, and the, the 2.7 blocks, yeah, that's great, but there's probably a number of shots per game as well that, it, that he that he influences, and, and guys don't even come into the paint because they're scared of attacking Rudy Gobert. He's won it twice, so he's got that that reputation, and, and he, de- he definitely does put the doubt in that mind of that offensive player. So I do have him on top. Um, I've got Anthony Davis second. His numbers are down a little bit right across the board offensively and defensively. So if you just sort of scan across and he's only averaging the 8.8 rebounds and 1.9 blocks, which don't really leap off the page. But uh, the Lakers are the number one defense in the league and, and there's no doubt that he's the the backbone of their defense. Um, he's second in defensive win shares, a fifth in defensive uh, box plus minus. So, yeah, I, I think he's having a really good year defensively. Um, I think – I think last year in the finals we really saw how good Anthony Davis can be as a defender. He was absolutely outstanding against Miami. A number of times he he thwarted some drive to in the paint, and in the end Miami sort of gave up on a number of occasions, even attempting to go into the paint. It was probably the most most dominant uh, defensive performance I've seen in a long time. So th- there's no doubt that he, he's he's been an outstanding defender for a long for a number of years, and he's continuing that on this year.
1: Uh, yeah absolutely Anthony Davis you know he, and as you mentioned some of those analytic numbers he's also is coming first in in overall defensive rating so that's an estimate of points allowed per 100 possessions he's he's ranked 1 Gobert's ranked 2 uh, so I think yeah between those two guys um I think they're certainly the standouts but Ben Simmons again you know his defense is much much heralded he plays obviously a different role than than, than the big guys but yeah he, his defensive ratings are high again he's ranked 12th in the league you know, he's just such a menace. He's so long and and, and fast. He can guard all pretty much one through five. Um, so as a as a versatile uh, versatile defender, Ben Simmons worthy worthy of a mention in when you're talking about some of the best defensive players in the league.
0: Yeah, no doubt he's outstanding. He, yeah, you mentioned he can go one through five. He can certainly do that. He, he cops a lot of heat, and we probably got stuck in him a bit last week about his his limited offensive prowess. But no one can question his defensive versatility. He's been outstanding. I ended up going for Miles Turner as my third guy. You mentioned he leads the league in, bo- in blocks at three point seven blocks a game. Only the six point seven rebounds, but I think he, he's taken a real leap forward this year. He, he was actually. Mentioned in the offseason as part of potentially a trade for Gordon Haywood to go to Indiana, but apparently Boston weren't that interested in getting their hands on Miles Turner. I bet they're regretting that now because he's he's really turned it around this season. He's been outstanding uh, since game one. He's putting up wild numbers in the blocks category there. He's six in defensive win chairs. Uh, Indiana only ranked fifteenth in defense, but if you, if you scan across the rest the rest of their roster, they don't really have any any other sort of plus defenders apart from him. So I don't think we can penalise him too much for that because I think he's been outstanding on the defensive end this year.
1: Yeah, no. Look at and as you mentioned with Boston, I found it really unusual. I, I thought he was certainly a guy that they could have really looked at it, and coming in and and giving them some some high level help. But you know, in the end, I think they, they didn't like the the contract number and ended up settling with, with Tristan Thompson, which is, which is working out okay at the moment for the Celtics. But yeah, Turner certainly um, has improved. I think he's, they've, they've really been able to settle the combination with him and Sabonis, where a year or two ago, I think they were both sort of fighting for that number one uh, mantle as as a big guy on that team. And I think Sabonis has clearly overtaken that now. And it's allowed Miles um, Turner just to play his more specific role, more focused on defence and then... Um, you know, He obviously can assist at the offensive end. His three-point shooting's improved as well. So, now, definitely with those blocks numbers, they're, they're enormous, 3.7 again. game, uh, clearly leading the league in that. So, yeah, definitely worth a mention.
0: So the last of what we'll talk about is the coach of the year. There's, again, a number of candidates because some teams have had some outstanding years that maybe we thought they wouldn't. Who, who did you end up settling on here?
1: It's a bit boring. I've gone for another Utah Jazz um, winner here, and that's <laughs> Quinn Snyder at the Jazz. I just think they've... Been able to come out of the block so well this year, eighteen and five. They pretty much brought the the same team back as what they had last year. Really, only Derek Favors was was added to the added to the team. Obviously, they didn't have Bogdanovich in the in the bubble or in the playoffs, so he's been a, another guy that's come in to help them um, at the start of this year. So Quinn Snyder just gets such a big big rap from all the players that that, that, that play for him. Is is really well respected and um and spoken of so highly. And I think you know just the fact that they do have the league. Best record at
0: the moment. I've gone with uh, Quinn Snyder. Yep, no doubt he, he's right in the picture there. I, I settled on him uh, in second place. Yeah, you mentioned there how good they've been, and for the to be third in defence and fourth in fourth in offence is, is a feather in his cap. They're first in the West, which is obviously a very tough conference. That so they've had an outstanding start to the year. I ended up settling on Taylor Jenkins um, from Memphis, and they're only nine and eight, but they they've had a lot of injuries. J- Jar Morant's only played half half the games, and Jaron Jackson. Junior, their second best player hasn't even played a game, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into Memphis a bit later. So I won't get too in depth there, but I think for them to have the fifth fifth ranked defense as well is is outstanding for them. Given the guys that they've missed, Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably their their best defender. He protects the paint from them and to not have him to be able to still have the fifth ranked defense is is outstanding for Memphis. Quinn Snyder I did have second and and the guy I had third was Stephen Silas who from Houston who endured a a very tough start to his coaching career with the with the James Harden saga. I thought he was really classy right throughout that. He didn't didn't throw any arrows at Harden. He answered every question as honestly as he could. And, and since since he's left, since James Harden's left, that they've had the number one ranked defence since he's left. And, you know, that, that, that's pure coaching right there. So for a guy to come into the league, to have that baptism of fire that he had with the James Harden saga, to be able to reset uh, the rest of the roster straight away as soon as Harden left, and to be able to get the best out of guys like Eric Gordon, who, who'd probably struggled the last few years. He's playing really good basketball. We've already mentioned Christian Wood, who's having a good year. Um John Walls came come back and he he's playing some really good basketball. So, yeah, I just wanted to give Stephen Silas a shout out for the for the year he's had so far.
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, he couldn't have asked for a more difficult start um for a first year head coach, but he's yeah, he's really handed it superbly and, and to their credit, they're they're really improving as the season's going on and to get to eleven eleven at five hundred um at this stage of the year and really you know being the playoff pitcher uh, for a first year head coach is is a great effort.
0: All right, so we'll leave the awards part there. What we'll move on to now uh, is a segment called Who Would You Rather? And we'll start off with who would you rather, Ben, out of Memphis or Dallas going forward?
1: Well, yeah, that's a really interesting interesting suggestion there. I mean, if you'd asked me this 12 months ago, I would have clearly said Dallas Mavericks. I just thought with um, obviously landing Luka Doncic in the draft or trading up to grab him. And then signing Kristaps Porzingis, I thought both of those European players were going to fit so well together. And then, you know, there was possibilities opened up, particularly from a cap space point of view, uh, moving forward to try and land a a third guy to, you know, really push them forward. It just hasn't panned out that well for Dallas at the moment. They're currently second last in the West, 10 and 14. And there's some real concerns for me around um, Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, his numbers are okay from a stats point of view, but I just, concerned with the, with his movement and, and the lingering knee injuries that you know continue to plague him. is a a real worry. He's he's almost a sieve at the defensive end. He he just can't get anywhere laterally. Blokes are just walking past him and and getting all the way to the bucket. He was such a force at that end uh, when he uh, got to the Knicks. His block shots were high. Um, His per-game numbers there were really good. But I just think he he, he hasn't really improved as he's come back. And a lot of that would have to do with the injury and, and the knee that he had to miss pretty much all of last season. So I am... You know, concerned about Dallas, and that really centers around um, the health of Porzingis and, and the fact that he really hasn't sort of progressed to be the to the be the player that I sort of thought that he might have been. Uh, his three point shooting numbers this year have really uh, diminished. He's down to thirty one percent from three. He's averaging the nineteen points a game and the eight boards, but I just think for Dallas um, to really get to where they want to get to, Chris Dats Porzingis needed to be, you know, a really elite player, you know, an All Star level player, really to support. Luca uh, Luka Doncic. The other issue for me around Dallas is that, you know, that their first round pick selections that are, have to go to New York as part of that trade. They've got to hand over their their first round pick this year and their pick um in twenty twenty three, albeit that is protected uh through to the top ten. But that's two first round picks that are gonna go out. They have got themselves in a, a good position from a, a cap point of view. They've got max level room uh for next year. But I I, I just don't think the free aging class for next season of is, is going to be what uh, initially was thought with guys like Giannis already re-signing with their existing club. So they really do need to find a, a third player to support uh, Doncic and then obviously Pazingas. And the only way that I can really see them doing that is through free agency. But again, they haven't been able to land uh, key free agents that regularly in the past. So they're really taking a big a big punt from that point of view. So I end up deciding on, I'd probably prefer to be in Memphis' um, shoes at the moment, just around, you know, the elite young talent they have in Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., who, as you mentioned just before, we haven't seen play this year. But they're two young studs that Memphis are going to be able to build around for the long term. And the fact that they're playing so well this season, and you gave a shout-out to their coach already, but to be 9-9 nine and nine and 500 with, with all the issues they've had throughout the season um, is, is outstanding. And I think if they can continue to grow together, you know, into the future with those two young studs, they also have own all of their first-round picks going forward. And, and have an abundance of cap space because of, you know, the rookie deals that their, their star players are currently on. Um, I think they're really set up to to be a force for years to come. And, you know, I've just got probably more belief as, of, of those two as a duo than I do with Doncic and Pazingas, and then obviously the ability for them to, to build out their roster uh, going forward. So, as I said, I would have definitely taken Dallas 12 months ago, but as it stands right now, I think Memphis, uh, for me, have, have, have some greater up, upside moving forward.
0: Yeah, boringly again, mate. I'm going to agree with you. There's no doubt that if we'd done this 12 months ago, it wasn't it wasn't even a conversation to be honest. But yeah, the Christos Porzingis health query is huge for Dallas. They gave up the first round picks and you know some players to get him, and he was he was thought to be that second star that they needed to put next to to Luca. And when he's been healthy, like he was towards the end of last year in the bubble, it's looked really good. But you mentioned there that. That that his injury history. He's actually had thirteen lower leg injuries since he's entered the league, which is outstanding given he's only been in the, in the league for five for for five years. Um, and guys who are he's seven foot three. Guys who are that sort of size don't have a history of being able to stay on the court. You know, more, most recently we saw Yao Ming, who's obviously a bit taller than seven three. But once you start getting up and higher than the seven foot, your body just can't cope with the pounding that it does cop in an NBA game. So. I would have real concerns if I was if I was uh, Mark Cuban. They you mentioned there yeah, they've they've had struggles recruiting guys, which which is a bit unusual because Cuban's one of the more player friendly um, owners in the NBA. So I'm not too sure why they have struggled to recruit over the years. We saw after they won that championship, the last probably six or seven years or how many how many uh, years Dirk played after that were basically a waste for him because they weren't able to add those stars because they didn't re-sign that championship core. Um, and and but let's hope that's not the case with Luca because he's an excitement machine. Everybody loves watching Luca play. He's only in his third season, so there's still plenty of time for for Dallas to to correct this. But you mentioned they've got those two outgoing picks there, and the fact that the, it's not a free agent destination. How will they add to it? They've got a couple of promising rookies. One of our very own Aussies, Josh Green, uh, also Torrell Terry. We haven't seen a lot of these guys, but. Um, the draft experts were saying that, that they would expect these guys to be sort of solid contributors going forward. Jalen Brunson, too, he's only got one more season left, but he, he's a really, really good uh, backup point guard. He's having a, a really good year, shooting 52, 40, 89 from the field. So anytime your backup point guard can come out and give you close to 12 points a game and 3.5 and assists and shoot those sort of numbers from the field, you're on to something there. But as I mentioned, he's only got one more season left. When he becomes a free agent, uh, will he get paid too much for them to be able to keep him? Maxi Kleber, he, he's a you know a good sort of youngish player. He's only got two more seasons left on his contract as well. So by the time Luca hits his prime, how many of the guys that are on the the Dallas the Dallas roster now will still be going around? I'm not too sure. Would they entertain maybe training Daps Porzingis? I'm not sure how much currency he has on the market. Do you think they'd be able to get much for him, Ben?
1: Oh, look, I don't think they're going to be able to get what they what they'd really expect for him. I mean, he's he's on a massive contract. He's owed essentially 120 odd million over the next four years as well. So that's quite a large contract to take back when the, for a guy that you know has has had the injury concerns that we've mentioned. Yeah, it's a real shame because Kristaps uh, bezingus you know, just showed so much promise at the Knicks, and you know, and he has done it at times uh, with the Dallas Mavericks. But it just doesn't seem to have come together for him and for him and Luca. And I, I am concerned about how that's going to fit uh, moving forward and, and if you know if Pizingas doesn't improve then you know that it, it is a real issue for them particularly because of that contract they're not going to be able to probably get off it um even if they wanted to and as we mentioned both of us already just around free agents coming to Dallas um there hasn't been good history of it so they that's their, their really only pathway forward in terms of in terms of finding that third star um because you know guys like Tim Hardaway jr and uh, Corley Stein, you know they, they're just not the the, the support that it's going to get it done longer term so um look it is really an interesting time for Dallas and you know they you know they just got to focus on this season at the moment and trying to and trying to save it they obviously had a, a terrific win today against Golden State so you know hopefully that gives them some momentum you know moving forward a little bit but yeah they've got some work to do just to you know even get into the playoff conversation in the west this year
0: yeah they certainly do and and that's why I did I did lean Memphis in the end we spoke you spoke about Jamal Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr they they're too Especially Morant, undoubted superstar of the competition, I believe. Uh Jaron Jackson Jr. If he can get healthy. There's health concerns also about uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. who who has had some injuries throughout his first couple of seasons in the NBA as well. So he maybe not quite as much as Pozinkas as yet, but he's still in the young. But there's got to be that those concerns about him a little bit as well. But they've also got a couple of rookies this year who are who are contributing for him as well, for them as well. Desmond Bain is actually shooting 50% from three, which is second in the NBA. He, he had four years of college, so he comes in as that mature age player and he's been able to contribute straight away for them and Xavier Tillman as well who's who's, who's signed a four-year contract. He played three years of college. Um, he's a eight power forward and he's he's averaging 9 and 5 as well. So I think they've obviously got Morant and Jackson and then they've got a couple of the these younger guys as well who've come in and proven that going forward they're at least going to be solid rotation players as well, which is what you need when you've got a couple of young stars. You need to be able to find these rotational pieces as well. So both Tillman and Bain, I think, have been able to display that. And you'd imagine that uh, they'll have a bit of cap space going forward. But again, similar to Dallas, Memphis isn't going to be one of those free agent destinations, you wouldn't think, unless one of those... Those stars does look at the fact that Jar Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr., an inside-outside combination, would be really good to play around. And then, okay, maybe I will go and play for them despite the fact that Memphis isn't a one of the, the premier markets of the NBA. So it'll be interesting to see over the next few seasons if they are able to add a free agent, but I just think I'll just lean slightly towards Memphis despite the fact that obviously Luca is clearly the best player out of the four sort of stars that we're mentioning. There is, there's just for me, too much of a question mark over Chris Stapp's health. The second and last, who would you rather we'll go for, is uh, Jimmy Butler or Paul George. Which way did you end up going with this one, Ben?
1: Well, I've gone with uh, Jimmy Butler, and that's just based on pretty much what we saw uh, last year in the bubble and you know, really leading his team all the way into the NBA finals. That's something uh, we just haven't seen Paul George do at the pointy end of a, a playoff series yet. Um, you know the way they flamed out last year was was really disappointing from the Clippers' point of view, and, and you know it was almost a polar opposite to the way that Jimmy Butler handled himself in that you know a, you know in a similar situation, you know, and getting his his team in there. Look, I think Paul George is having the better season at the moment, and his his numbers are better and his play is better. Or, well, you know we we do understand Jimmy Butler's had a horrendous start to the year with um the COVID protocols, but. Uh, Paul George is having a, a sensational season. Twenty-four points a game. You know, his shooting numbers are, are really good this year as well. He's hitting the three at forty-seven percent, which is just um, just incredible on seven-point-nine attempts. So um, he's playing fantastically well. But uh, the, the issue for me is just that in the playoffs, um, we just haven't seen Paul George consistently make winning plays, and, and you know, and really take his his team really, really deep. And and Jimmy Butler's just a, such a fierce competitor. He's, he's an incredible leader. And the way that you know he can—he he took that team into the finals last year—gives the points in, in just in that situation for me. And as I said, it's not even at, at the moment around who's probably playing the better basketball. It's just around you know that, that grit and determination that Jimmy Butler has, and he just leaves everything out on the floor. And it, it's just so so good to watch. So I've just lit with uh, Jimmy Butler at the moment, and and you know the way that he can hopefully get his Miami Heat back
0: up the back up the ladder at, at the um, back half of this season. And I would certainly enjoy it if he's if he is able to do that. Now it does pay me to say this, but I think I'll go with Paul George. I think he gets a really bad rap, Paul George. I think we forget the player he was early in his career. He has he has had a third place finish in MVP. Early on in his career, we saw him mix it uh, with LeBron James when he's at Indiana during those playoffs. We of course all mentioned that that famous bit of footage where LeBron dapped him up after an outstanding back and forth between the two of them he he gets a bit of flack for that that Monica playoff p which you know last year we saw him hitting the side of the backboard a couple of times but he's put up some outstanding numbers in the playoffs apart from last year that yes he has struggled at times um and he maybe hasn't quite carried the team a team to to the extent that Jimmy Butler did last year but i think the way he's been able to rebound from that from that injury that he had everybody remembers that that sickening injury he had quite a few years ago and he's he's been able to get himself back to the player that he was before that and, and he's a force on both ends of the floor. He's a really outstanding wing defender. We see that he can. He, he's really good from downtown. He's, he's hitting at a really good clip this year, and there's no reason to think that that wouldn't continue. So I'm just going to slightly lean towards Paul George. As I said, it does pay me to go down that way because Jimmy Butler was absolutely outstanding for Miami Heat. He was dragging him across the line in a couple of those those playoff scenarios. But I I guess there's always that question mark about that the, the bubble last year and the effect it had on some players. Um, whether I'm sort of weighing that too heavily against Jimmy Butler and too much for Paul George, maybe that's the case. But I, I think Paul George has had, has had a, a longer, more sustained uh, period of been of success and higher level play than Jimmy Butler, only slightly though.
1: Yeah, no. Look, they've uh, had you know fairly comparable careers. Really, you know, they both ended up being on a number of different teams and been and been moved around. And it's really because they probably have never. Found themselves in that, you know, really elite top ten uh, bracket of of players. So they're just probably both sitting in that next level. But yeah, I, I just saw what Jimmy Butler was able to do last year, and I think until Paul George can, you know, get into in, into get the Clippers into the Western Conference Finals and really challenge the Lakers, then it might be this year. And but until it happens, I'll, I'll stick with Jimmy.
0: Yep, that's fair enough. As I said, it was splitting hairs for me, and I just slightly uh, leaned towards Paul George. So we'll call it there. Uh, Once again, thanks for everybody who took the time to download the podcast last week and and give us a rating, a five-star rating. We'd appreciate if you could get that done again for us again. It it helps us as as much as possible. So we look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you.